0: So one of the hardest things about my job, and I know I shouldn't complain because I only work an hour a week, <laughs> um, is, uh, is actually those, those weeks I don't even work that hour uh, when we have a guest preacher, and I sit over there, uh, and we've had the uh, honor of having all kinds of folks uh, here in this pulpit, uh, uh, great scholars and uh, pastors and, and uh, people who have been leaders in all kinds of uh, different fields. Uh, but every once in a while we'll have a guest go off script. Um, usually the problem is that the guest goes on for way too long. Uh, and then I have to hear about it from the people in the nursery. Um, but, uh, but every once in a long while, you know, somebody will come and say something that I don't really agree with. Which you know, it's not always a big problem. Um, Although, in this case, uh, it was uh, when we had our Ezekiel series, which I know you all remember fondly, uh, and the the, uh, speaker got to this passage. Actually, he said something that I really didn't agree with and I don't, in fact, think is the right way to interpret this verse. Um, But it would have been impolite for me to get up and say so at the time. Uh, However, now, several years later, I get to make my rebuttal. Uh, Here we are, and, and I know, like, like mine, your Bibles fall open to Ezekiel when you drop them on the floor. Uh, open them up, if you would, please, to Ezekiel chapter 3. starting uh, in, in ver- It's this whole kind of paragraph here. I'll start in verse 16. At the end of seven days, the word of Yahweh came to me. Hey, guy, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them a warning from me. When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do not warn the wicked man, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he will die for his sin, but you will have saved yourself again when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and does evil and i put a stumbling block before him he will die and since you didn't warn him he'll die for his sin the righteous things he did will not be remembered and i'll hold you accountable for his blood but if you do warn the righteous man not to sin and he does not sin he will surely live because he took warning and you will have saved yourself So the way this verse is often preached and the way it was preached here is something along these lines. And here I'm going to quote a sermon from another pastor who preached it around the same time it was preached here. He said, I'm warning you here today that God has made you and me to be his watchmen. We must not fail to sound the warning and point to Jesus the way, the only way. Do you hear me? If you won't do it for the love of God, do it for the fear of God, but do it. Take a card from the pew and write the name of someone you know needs to hear the warning. Pray for them and share this name with a brother or sister in Christ who will pray with you for this person. Then go tell them what God says. The interpretation here is that God has made all of us to be his watchmen and that it is incumbent upon all of us to warn people of their wickedness. And that if we don't, then their blood will be on our heads. Which is rather a heavy burden when you consider that there are about 7 billion other people. Let's look at the context and see what kind of sense this makes. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 2. Now you'll remember in Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel has this crazy psychedelic vision of the divine chariot Uh, coming at him as he's hanging out. Remember last week we were uh, reading from Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote a letter to the exiles, the Jerusalemite exiles who were in Babylon. Ezekiel is one of those. He had been a priest uh, and uh, is now out of a job because if you're a priest with no temple, then you can't do priestly things. So Ezekiel is hanging out by the river and moping, and uh, God uh, appears to him in this wild and crazy way that Ezekiel never would have expected. And then, then he speaks at the beginning of chapter 2. He said to me, all right, guys, stand up on your feet and I'll speak to you. As he spoke, the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. He said, guy, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that's rebelled against me. They and their fathers have been in revolt against me to this very day. And the people to whom I'm sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the Lord Yahweh says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, because they're a rebellious house, they'll know that a prophet has been among them. And you, guy, don't be afraid of them or their words. Don't be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Don't be afraid of what they say or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, dude, listen to what I say to you. Don't rebel like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me, and it was a scroll which he unrolled before me. And on both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. He said to me, All right, dude, eat eat what's before you. Eat this scroll, and then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I'm giving you, and fill your stomach with me. So I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. He then said to me, All right, guy, go now to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. You're not being sent to a people of obscure speech and difficult language. You're being sent to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of obscure speech and difficult language. I'm not making you go through any Berlitz training on this one. You, I'm not sending you to people who, whose words you cannot understand. I mean, it, the fact is, if I would sent you to them, then they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel is not willing to listen to you because they're not willing to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is hardened and obstinate. But I'll make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I'll make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be terrified by them, even though they are a rebellious house. He said to me, All right, buddy, listen carefully and take to heart all the words I speak to you. Go now to your countrymen in exile and speak to them. Say to them, this is what the Lord Yahweh says whether they listen or fail to listen. and Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound. May the glory of Yahweh be praised in His dwelling place. The sound of the wings of the living creatures brushing against each other, the sound of the wheels beside them, a loud rumbling sound. The Spirit then lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness, and in the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of Yahweh upon me. And I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv near the Kebar River. And there where they were living, I sat among them for seven days, thoroughly depressed. So Ezekiel here has gone from bad to worse. Right? He's already in exile. He's already out of a job. His entire professional identity has been stripped from him. And now he has got the one true God showing up and telling him, guess what? I'm going to make you the bearer of bad news, right? You know the phrase, don't shoot the messenger? You're going to be the messenger. And these people are not even going to listen to you. I'm going to make you speak to them, and they aren't going to hear you. It's going to be awesome to be you, Ezekiel. And and they're at the end of of this passage I just read. He is sitting there, living among them, for a whole week he sits there, thoroughly depressed. Which is understandable, considering what God has just told him is going to happen. And then it was after a week that the word of Yahweh came to him. Hey, dude, remember? I made you a watchman. So, You're a watchman for the house of Israel. Listen to the word I speak and give them this warning for me. And when I say to a wicked man, you're surely going to die and you don't warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin. But I'll hold you accountable for his blood. But if you don't warn the wicked man and he doesn't turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he'll die for his sin. But you'll have saved yourself. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before him, he'll die. But since you didn't warn him, he'll die for his sin. The righteous things he did won't be remembered, but I'll hold you accountable for his blood. If you do warn the righteous man not to sin, and he doesn't sin, then he'll surely live, because he took warning, and you will have saved yourself. And then what does it say? The hand of Yahweh was upon me there, and he said to me, Get up and go out to the plain, and there I will speak to you. So I got up and I went out to the plain. It's not like he was a rebellious prophet like Jonah, but he's pretty dang reluctant, isn't he? God keeps having to pick him up and shove him in the right direction. He finally got up and went out to the plain, and the glory of Yahweh was standing there like the glory I'd seen by the Kabar River, and I fell face down, which is the usual response when people are presented with the glories of the Lord. And then... The Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. Again, Ezekiel is somebody who has to get worked on by God. And you get the sense as you read this book, he's getting worked over by God. But what you find is, at at first, God God gives Ezekiel this call, tells him what he has to do, tells him how it's going to (laughs) go. And then second, in this passage we looked at today, God gives Ezekiel... Not just a reminder of his call, but a warning about what happens if he's not faithful to it. Right? Look, Ezekiel, here are the stakes. This, this isn't just about you and your mopey feelings. This is about the fact that if, you, if you're supposed to warn these folks, and you don't warn them, and if they die in their sin, I'm going to have that on you because you failed to warn them. So God raises the stakes on this. I know pronouns are tricky, but let me just try this out. When we read here, the word of Yahweh came to me. Who's me? Ezekiel, okay. And it says, all right, guy, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Who's you? Ezekiel, okay. Is your name Ezekiel? Ezekiel. I mean, even if your name's Ezekiel, it doesn't directly <laughs> apply to you. If you're not this Ezekiel, <coughs> back in 6th century, ba- I think it's an awesome name. If we have, I'm serious, if we, if we had a son. Yeah. But this is, this is an instruction given specifically to a 6th century prophet who is in Babylon among the exiled Jerusalemites. I mean, I'd be interested in knowing whether this prophet would also apply to you and me this command that God gives in the next chapter to Ezekiel. Take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and spelt. Put them in a storage jar and use them to make bread for yourself. Weigh out 20 shekels of food to eat each day and eat it at set times. Also measure out a sixth of a hint of water and drink it at set times. Eat the food as you would a barley cake. Bake it in the sight of the people using human excrement for fuel. Anybody done that lately? Anybody feel like you were supposed to do that lately? No. This was a bit of performance art that God had Ezekiel doing. He's trying to demonstrate to the people what's coming, that that there is going to be this, this horrible siege of Jerusalem and and it, it's going to be uh, miserable, there's going to be famine and poverty and, and misery, and all because people were disobedient and, dis, and, and unfaithful. And, and God f- forces Ezekiel to, to demonstrate that in this really weird way that we, we read about before. But there is no reason to take what God says in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17, as any more directly applicable to us than what he says in chapter 4, verse 12, when he commands Ezekiel to bake his poverty bread in the sight of the people using human excrement for fuel. You'll be relieved to know if you don't know the story. Ezekiel's like, what? God says, all right, fine, you can use cow dung. Yeah, I mean, you could conceivably... It would be a stretch. You could conceivably say, "Well, this command to be a watchman and to warn people could maybe apply to somebody who has a role of uh, of leadership in in a particular community." And you know, Ezekiel is being called to speak to God's people, Israel. He's he had been a priest. God's made him a prophet of His people. That that's a position where you might have the authority and the place to speak in that setting. So you you might take that and stretch it to make it say that. But but others, I mean, does this mean that we are supposed to go out and warn everybody else around us, that we're supposed to be watchmen and to warn everybody who doesn't believe in Jesus that they have to, and if we fail to do so, that if they die, then their sin is on our head? No. I think that's bad interpretation, and I know that it leads to bad results. Because I've seen this happen. I've seen people who have this attitude who have lived that way. I think of a guy I used to work with. He was in this Bible study when I worked at Black & Decker. We were in a Bible study together and, and, and he learned that somebody in his department uh, was, was living with her boyfriend. And he felt that it was necessary for him to warn her that what she was doing was wicked. Now, he was not her pastor, He didn't have any responsibility uh, with respect to her in in that way. Uh, But he felt like if he didn't warn her that what she was doing was wrong, then the penalty for her sin was going to be on him. I can't remember whether she filed a complaint or not with human resources, but I can certainly say that this did not help the relationship between him and her or, frankly, the reputation of Jesus among people in that part of the company. Because he was just meddling in her business, she had not invited him to say what he thought about what she was doing he but he felt like he had to speak right, and you see these places where Jesus says, "You'll be persecuted on my account, and men will scorn you on my account and he he felt like you know this was because you know he was getting crap for this that that meant he was being faithful, no, he was just being a jerk he was he was getting in trouble for this because he should have gotten in trouble for it. So if we, if we try to speak a word out of season, then that can cause offense. It can harden people to hearing the word that they need to hear. It also, more benignly, can just cause confusion. If you look on the cover of your bulletin, um, there's a fascinating translation of this warning sign on the grass. It says, tender, fragrant grass, how hard it to trample them. And you look at it and it's kind of cute. You know, it's kind of fun when people try to translate things into English. Uh, And you you kind of know what they're trying to get across, but it's 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 confusing and it's awkward. And I think there's a sense in which if we're speaking a different language to somebody, if we're talking about what God requires and somebody hasn't bought into the God thing in the first place, that it is. It's kind of like we're speaking a different language, and it can just be confusing to hear. They might kind of get a sense of what we're trying to get across, but but it might not be effective. And it also can lead not just to offense and to confusion, but it can lead, frankly, to dismissal, to mockery. There's a great bumper sticker, and Dave has a picture that he can throw up here. You may have seen this one. It says, Jesus is coming, look busy. Right? If you don't believe that Jesus is coming and that that's going to have some consequences, you might find it amusing that all these other people think Jesus is coming and that you ought to have your stuff together when he gets here. And so you get this bumper sticker, Jesus is coming, look busy. And they're laughing at us. They're making fun of us. And I think one of the reasons that people can laugh and mock and dismiss the message is, it's easier than actually having to deal with the content of the message. But again, this kind of of dismissal can present an obstacle, just like hardening can, just like giving offense can to people actually hearing the message. It's hard to take it seriously when you can make fun of it this easily on a bumper sticker. Well, there is a better way. There is a more sound way. If you Flip ahead to Colossians chapter 4. Paul says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul doesn't say, Whatever you do, make sure that you convey the content of God's warnings or else you're going to be in trouble. The consequences be damned. No, he says be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make, make the most of every opportunity you have to be in, in relationship with folks. Make the most of those opportunities. When you speak, speak graciously. Speak in a way that, you know, when something is seasoned, I know James is an exception, James likes unsalted potato chips, but for the rest of the world... I, you know, uh, the, the rest of the world, it, it, it's food that's not salted, it is insipid. If something seasons with salt, it means it's properly presented to you so that you're, most, you're best able to experience it as it really is. I mean, the, if salt is applied properly, then food tastes more like what it is, not just like salt. So season your, your words with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone, different people, that we're talking with are going to hear the word of the gospel differently. So be smart, be thoughtful, be wise. And Peter says in his first letter in chapter 3, he says in verse 15, in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. What would what would it be like to live in a world where, when people slandered us, they were embarrassed? What would, what would it be like to live in a world where folks said, "No, actually, the Christians—they're no, they're 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 good folks." They're they're taking care of people who are in need. They're trying to build up marriages and families in their community. They're trying to be productive contributors in their workplace and, and, and in their neighborhood. So when you put that bumper sticker on your car that says, Jesus is coming, look busy, you're making fun of people that really shouldn't be made fun of. Right? I mean, you can go online and you can find some Amish jokes, but people weren't making jokes about the Amish when after one of their schoolhouses was shot up, the community came together and loved not only the families of the girls that were killed, but also the family of the man who did that awful deed. It's a community that has earned the respect that it has. What would it look like if we did the same thing? I think that's what we're called to. Paul says we're called to be ambassadors. We're called to do the work of ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors are called to be proper diplomats in their proper context. They're called to speak well, called to speak wisely. What they're not called to do is to get up willy-nilly and condemn everything they see around them just to make sure that everybody's heard it so that they're not on the hook for it. I don't think that's what God calls us to, and I certainly don't think that that is what He is trying to tell all of us by giving this specific instruction to His particular prophet at that time in that place. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that we would be people who read Your Word and seek to understand it as You have given it to us, that we would be diligent in applying the right ways of interpreting it, that we would not simply grab those things that are said to one person and automatically think they apply to us. We do pray that as we engage with our neighbors, as we live as your representatives, as walking advertisements for the Lord of the universe, we pray that we would be people who speak with wisdom, who speak graciously, people who earn a good reputation for you in this world where you place us here in this time and place we ask that this would be to your glory in Christ's name amen